The Devil Within, the hit true crime podcast, is back with a terrifying journey into the mind of a madman. In the 1970s, New York City had it all. Hip-hop, punk rock, and the Son of Sam. The Devil Within, a season in hell, is available now wherever you get your podcasts. Patrons heard this episode ad-free first. For early ad-free access and bonus episodes and so much more, become a patron at patreon.com slash the Murder Diaries pod or hit that link in the show notes. Welcome to the Murder Diaries. I'm Natalie. And I'm Paige. Have you ever stood in a long line at a grocery store and looked at all the magazines with salacious headlines about heinous crimes? Or stood outside of a bathroom at Walmart and gazed at the massive wall of missing children's flyers? Do you ever wonder what happened to those kids? Are they okay? What's their story? Today, we're going to be talking about one of those children. Except for a time, everyone knew her name, and many people still do. Hers is a story that led an entire society to rethink safety and create legislation that has saved hundreds of children's lives. But it all started with one little girl from Texas. Her name was Amber Hagerman. This is her story. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. Amber Renee Hagerman was born on November 25th, 1986. In 1996, when she was just 10 years old and in the third grade, she attended Barry Elementary School in Arlington, Texas. She loved the Disney princess Pocahontas, playing Barbie dolls and teddy bears and riding her bike. The bike was a Christmas gift and was pink, Amber's favorite color. Amber was extremely close to her family. She adored her mother, Donna, and her younger brother, Ricky. She loved to act like Ricky's little mommy, even though she was just four years older than him. Amber's mother, Donna, had left Amber's father, Richard, and she alleged that Richard had physically abused her. After their separation, Donna raised the kids on her own while working towards her GED. And in late 95, early 96, Donna and her kids filmed a new special about welfare reform that was going to be aired on WFAA-TV in Dallas in mid-January 96. Hundreds of hours of footage was captured for the documentary special. The footage was mostly of the family living their normal lives. The executive producer of the special, Elizabeth Fisher, told Yahoo Entertainment, when you look back at that footage, it's rare to have those moments as a mom where you're reading that bedtime story or you're doing homework. For those of us who do have video cameras, you normally film the birthday parties and the big events, but we rarely film making dinner. The documentary team filmed Amber being Amber, her awards for good grades and attendance, her love for creative writing, and, of course, her Barbie dolls and pink bike. In January 1996, nine-year-old Amber had her whole life ahead of her. She was halfway through the third grade and was about to become a junior Girl Scout. She had a loving family and friends who adored her. Life had dealt Amber and her mother and brother a bad hand, but they were making the best of it. Unfortunately, all that would change. On Saturday, January 13th, 1996, Amber and Ricky were at their grandparents' house in Arlington. Amber and Ricky were riding their bikes outside, and Amber asked her mom if she could ride around the block. Donna agreed on one condition, that Amber stayed close to the house. Amber told her mother, Okay, mommy, I will. I love you, mommy. This would be the last thing Amber said to her mother. 
words that Donna would repeat in interviews for the next two and a half decades. By 3.10 p.m., Amber and Ricky were riding their bikes in the parking lot of an abandoned Winn-Dixie grocery store. The store was located at 1600 East Abrams Street, two-tenths of a mile from their grandparents' home. The store and parking lot were attractive to them because there was a loading ramp that looked like it would be fun to ride up and down. At some point, Ricky went back to their grandparents' house because he was nervous that he was breaking his mother's rule about staying close to the house. Amber wasn't worried, so she stayed behind in the parking lot and continued to ride her bike. At around 3.18 p.m., a black pickup truck pulled into the parking lot. A man got out of the truck and grabbed Amber off her bike. He put her into the driver's side door of the truck and drove away. The abductor drove west on Abram Street towards the center of Arlington and away from the nearby Highway 360. Amber's pink bike was left lying in the parking lot. Fortunately, a man who lived near the parking lot witnessed the abduction. Jimmy Kevel, who was 78 years old at the time, was in his backyard and saw the abduction through his chain-link fence. He could also hear Amber screaming and yelling for help and saw her try and kick her abductor. Amber left her grandparents' house at 3.10 p.m. and Jimmy called 911 at 3.18 p.m. Eight minutes. That's it. That's the amount of time Amber was riding her bike for. It doesn't seem very long, but yet it was enough time for Amber to be abducted and for her family's world to flip upside down. In 2016, Jimmy told CBS Dallas-Fort Worth, quote, I saw Amber riding up and down. She was by herself. I saw this black pickup. He pulled up, jumped out, and grabbed her. When she screamed, I figured the police ought to know about it, so I called them. While Jimmy was calling the police, Ricky Hagerman had made it back to his grandparents' house. When he got back, his mother and grandparents asked him to go back to the parking lot to check on Amber. But by the time he arrived at the parking lot, Amber was already gone and her bike was lying on the ground. Ricky hurried back home to tell his family what he had found and the police arrived on scene shortly afterwards. Jimmy told the police that he had seen a young girl get kidnapped by a man driving a black 1980s or 1990s pickup truck. He said that the truck had a short wheelbase, a single cab and a clear rear window. He had actually seen the truck earlier in the day parked at a nearby laundromat. Jimmy went on to describe the abductor as being a white or Hispanic male in his 20s or 30s, under six feet tall and with dark hair. The FBI would later release a profile of the person who may have abducted Amber. The profile gave eight characteristics about this person, stating they, one, may have a temper. Two, may have trouble handling stress and is likely viewed as immature by those who know him. Three probably recently experienced stress, such as a major argument, loss of a job, financial problems, or rejection in a relationship. Four, probably is familiar with both the East Arlington side of the abduction and the North Arlington Creek where Amber's body was found. Five, may carry a knife and may have displayed it in the past to bolster his image or confidence. Six, may have altered his appearance by cutting or coloring his hair or by either shaving off a beard or mustache or growing one. Seven, may have tried to sell or change the appearance of his black pickup truck. And eight, may have suddenly stopped driving the truck or may have displayed an unusual interest in cleaning it. Unfortunately, this profile is pretty broad. However, considering the limited information they had to go off of, police most likely thought that any information was helpful. News of Amber's abduction spread like wildfire across Arlington, and a search effort began immediately. 
In the days after Amber's abduction, more than 50 police officers and FBI agents worked tirelessly to try and find her and bring her home. Amber's face was put on the front page of newspapers, and flyers were hung up all over town. Amber's mother, Donna, even went on TV to plead with her daughter's abductor. She just wanted her baby to be safe. Despite their separation and the allegations Donna made against him, she and her ex, Richard, became a united front when searching for Amber. They were often interviewed together and seemed to be doing everything they could to find their daughter. In addition to a general search, police were interested in talking to people who may have been at the laundromat next to the Winn-Dixie parking lot when Amber was abducted. Police believed that someone in the laundromat witnessed the abduction, but was scared to come forward, possibly out of fear of being deported. The police made it clear that their number one goal was finding Amber and that they wouldn't be deporting anyone. They just wanted information. Unfortunately, that turned out to be a dead end because police weren't able to get the information they were looking for from the laundromat. After the documentary crew that had been filming the WFAA TV welfare reform special learned about Amber's abduction, they returned to Arlington to help. With the permission of Amber's family, the crew picked up their cameras once again and started filming what the family was going through. In one particularly heartbreaking moment, the crew filmed Donna visiting Amber's school for a Girl Scout ceremony. In honor of Amber, the Girl Scout sang the song, America the Beautiful, which was Amber's favorite song because of the phrase, for Amber waves of grain. Elizabeth Fisher, who was the executive producer of the special, said that some investigators on Amber's case believe that the footage from the documentary helped get the community interested in the case and therefore committed to solving Amber's murder. Whether it was the documentary or something else, there was no doubt that the community was interested. The people of Arlington were horrified that an innocent child had been abducted like Amber had, and they wanted to help find her. On January 17th, four days after Amber went missing, a man was walking his dog near a creek behind an apartment complex when he found Amber's body. She was naked except for a single orange sock. The creek was around four miles away from where she had been abducted. And Amber was identified through a fingerprint card that Donna and Richard had her fill out in case something happened to her. Amber's parents had a hard time believing the news that Amber was dead. In 2016, the New York Times reported that Amber's father, Richard Hagerman, told reporters in 1996, quote, she's still alive, presumably after being told that Amber's body had been found. The Tarrant County Medical Examiner's Office determined that Amber's manner of death was homicide. Her autopsy concluded that her cause of death was several wounds to her neck. And even though Amber's body had been in a creek, police were able to recover a small amount of DNA. A few hours before Amber's body was found, maintenance workers from the apartment complex had been down by the creek. However, the maintenance workers that were down there didn't see Amber's body at the time, resulting in some speculation by investigators about how she could have gotten there. One theory that the Times reported on was that there was a heavy rain that day and the swollen creek could have carried Amber's body to where it was eventually found. At some point early on in the investigation, authorities presented a theory that Amber had been kept alive for two days before she was murdered. This led them to believe that somebody somewhere had to have seen something. Jimmy's witness testimony makes it hard to believe that Amber wouldn't have put up a fight. Wouldn't somebody have seen a little girl in distress at some point over those two days, especially when she would have been in the truck? Police really felt that someone in Arlington had answers. They just had to find them. As explained in a 2022 People magazine article about Amber's murder, 
Police believe that Amber's killer was an Arlington local. Arlington Police Sergeant Grant Gilden told the magazine, quote, based on the direction of travel when they left the Winn-Dixie and then based on her being found in Arlington, being abducted in Arlington and just being in the spot, the question has always been, did somebody have a connection with that area where the abduction was? He added, was there a connection with the location? And was it someone who had a reason for turning back to the center of town? The thought has always been that the easiest way to get out of the area would have been to go to Highway 360. The creek that Amber's body was found in also hints at someone local. Sergeant Gilden continued that conversation with people saying, quote, it's a very secluded area where her body was found. We do believe that you'd have to be somewhat familiar with that area to know where that creek is. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Amber's funeral was held on January 20th, 1996 at First Methodist Church of Arlington. Around 2,500 people attended the funeral and graveside service. President Bill Clinton even called Amber's parents to offer his personal condolences. In addition to the funeral, thousands of people attended Amber's wake, which lasted six hours. And at both services, Amber's casket was surrounded by flowers, including single blooms brought by children. Reverend Ann Stevens, the associate pastor of the First United Methodist Church of Arlington, spoke at Amber's funeral. She said that Amber is survived by a nation stunned and saddened and enraged that once again such unspeakable and fiendish evil has stricken one of our children. Amber was buried alongside around 30 other children in an area of the cemetery that's called Babyland. It overlooks a small body of water. Her blue casket was filled with personal mementos and teddy bears, gifts from people all over the community that had been sent to the family since the day of Amber's abduction. There were so many bears that they couldn't all fit in the casket. And the ones that couldn't fit into the casket were given to a police department charity. After Amber's funeral, the police kicked the investigation into high gear. They'd been investigating nonstop since the day Amber was abducted. But after her body was found, the investigation really went into overdrive. Amber's parents worked with the police tirelessly in the four days that Amber was missing. After the funeral, they too accelerated their work, but they were doing a different type of work. They were fighting to protect the safety of Texas's children. Two days after Amber's funeral on January 22nd, the FBI's child abduction and serial killer unit arrived in Arlington to help local authorities with Amber's case. A month and a half after that, on March 25th, the FBI left the investigation and a task force was formed within the Arlington Police Department to continue searching for Amber's killer. The task force was made up of 12 detectives and one sergeant. Meanwhile, Amber's parents' fight began on January 24th, less than two weeks after Amber was abducted. On the 24th, Donna and Richard held a press conference, and it's there that they announced that they wanted to create an amendment to a Texas law known as Ashley's Law. The law was passed in 1995 and it requires police to publish the city, street, zip code, age, gender, and type of sexual offense of convicted sexual offenders. The amendment Amber's parents wanted to add would require a mandatory sentence of life without parole or death for sex offenders. 
Amber's parents weren't the only people who used Amber's murder as a catalyst for change. Amber's murder stuck with the Texas mom named Diana Simone, who was baffled by how Amber's abductor was able to get away with murder. Diana had learned about Amber's abduction on the news, where she saw videos of a smiling Amber opening up a new Barbie doll on Christmas and riding her new pink bike. Diana wanted to help in the search for Amber, but didn't know what she was supposed to be looking for. Then Diana had an idea. She called a Dallas-Fort Worth radio station and told them, quote, I can't get over this child. There has to be something we can do. Her idea revolved around radio alerts for severe weather. And she asked the radio station why there weren't similar alerts for child abductions. She wanted a system that once a 911 call was placed, radio broadcasts would go out announcing the abduction. That way, more people knew what was going on and what to look for. After talking to the radio station, she wrote them a detailed letter explaining how the system should work and asking that the plan be called Amber's plan. And thus, the very first iteration of the Amber Alert was born. If you've never gotten one, or maybe you don't live in the U.S., this is basically a notification on your phone that triggers a really haunting loud alarm And it also gives you a notification in black and white on your phone that details information regarding a missing child. A lot of times it includes a car they may be in, who they may be with, and the license plate for that car. For a lot of us, we do know what Amber Alert is and have seen one or, like I said, gotten one to our phone. But you may have not known the story behind them and how they were connected to Amber Hagerman, where they got their name from, Amber. Amber's plan started locally in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Radio stations in the area partnered with law enforcement to develop the system. The system's first success story came in 1998, when an eight-week-old baby named Rayleigh Bradbury was rescued. Rayleigh had been kidnapped by her babysitter and was rescued 90 minutes after an alert was issued. And she went on to live a relatively normal childhood. In fact, in 2017, it was announced that Rayleigh was 18 years old and was going to be starting her first year at the University of Texas, something that may not have been possible had it not been for Amber's plan. Later in 1998, Amber's plan was renamed Amber, which stands for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response Alert. When a child is abducted, the Amber Alert guidelines mandate that alerts are sent first to radio and television stations, the lottery, and the Department of Transportation, and then to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, who share it with a wider audience. The goal of the system was for people to be on the lookout for missing children and the abductor, so that the child could be rescued in the hours immediately after their abduction. As of 2022, all 50 states, the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and 33 countries have an Amber Alert system in place. The system has rescued over 1,085 children. Diana Simone is forever grateful that the Amber Alert is still in place and is still working. She told People Magazine, quote, without the people, without people caring and willing to participate, I don't care how good of an idea it is. It would have gone nowhere. It's the goodness in the hearts of the people who care that are making a difference. But in my opinion, Diana also deserves a massive amount of credit because without her idea, the Amber Alert system may have never been created. On April 30th, 2003, President George W. Bush signed a bill that cemented Amber's legacy, the PROTECT Act. The law established a stronger system for law enforcement when children are abducted. It's been 27 years since Amber was abducted and murdered. 
Although Amber's name and story has been spread across the world, her murder is still unsolved. Despite this, the people of Arlington have not given up on her. There's a small concrete wall near the loading ramp at the Winn-Dixie, which is now a different grocery store. The wall's been painted pink, and it has a mural of sunflowers, butterflies, and teddy bears. There are two images of Amber on this mural. One image has Amber blowing in a dandelion next to the words, Arlington's Little Angel. The second image is a replica of a photo used on all of the posters to find Amber, and her name is printed next to it. Over 7,000 tips have been sent to the Arlington police, and thousands of leads have been investigated, but there still is no suspect. Sergeant Gildon told police, quote, we continue to have leads, and there are still several leads that we continue to investigate extensively as possible suspects. A lot of people will refer to Amber's case as what's commonly referred to as a cold case, but for the Arlington Police Department, It has never been listed as a cold case because we've never gone 180 days without having some type of lead come in. The police hope that as long as people know about Amber's murder, tips will continue coming in and eventually lead to a break in the case. A sergeant from the original 1996 task force named Ben Lopez echoed this sentiment in a press conference in 2021. He said, all this time, we've only had one witness. That's why we're pleading. If there's anyone out there that has information, even if they think it's just a small bit of information, it may be the lead we need to break this. As far as we can tell, the police are hoping that someone from the laundromat near the Winn-Dixie will come forward with information on the abduction. Because it happened in broad daylight and there was one witness, Jimmy Kevill. Police believe there has to be more witnesses. So please, if someone out there listening hears this, and you saw the truck's license plate sitting outside of that laundromat that day or got a clearer idea of the abductor, please, please let the police know because that might be enough information to solve Amber's case. Currently, police are focusing their efforts on the small bit of DNA that was collected from Amber's body. In 1996, DNA technology wasn't strong enough to test it, but detectives are hopeful that today's technology will give them answers. When talking about the DNA, Sergeant Gildon said, quote, on a yearly basis, I talk with all the major laboratories around the country to see if there are any new technologies or anything we could possibly be trying with the evidence that we have. Solving the case based on DNA evidence is becoming more and more of a possibility as technology advances. In the last few years, we've seen several decades old cases get solved due to new DNA testing methods. And hopefully in the years to come, Amber's case will be added to that list. Sergeant Gildon believes that Amber's killer is still alive and that the case will be solved. He's told media the following, quote, I do believe that there's definitely someone out there who has the answers that we're looking for and can help lead us in the right direction. So that's why we continue to work on it. Our goal has always remained the same, and that's to catch who did this and be able to prosecute them, end quote. If Amber's killer is still alive, there's no way he doesn't know the impacts her murder had on Arlington and the country as a whole. Sometime during the last 27 years, he must have been careless. And like the police have said time and time again, someone knows something. It's just up to one brave person to come forward. That might be the difference between justice for Amber and a lifetime of questions for her family. Despite over two and a half decades of investigating, Arlington police hold on to hope and use Amber's memory as a motivation. Sergeant Gildon told People Magazine, Amber was just a very sweet, innocent child. 
And that's the memory we got to hold on to as we investigate. That this is someone who was doing something as innocent as riding a bicycle. And evil found her that day. For these detectives, Amber hasn't left them and she likely won't until her case is solved. Amber's mother, Donna, gave a speech at a news conference in 2021 commemorating the 25th anniversary of her daughter's death. She said, I implore the media and public to ensure that the focus on this 25th anniversary of Amber's kidnapping remains on finding the killer and bringing him to justice. I miss her every day. I want to know why her. She was just a little girl. Please turn yourself in. As Donna said, Amber Hagerman was just a little girl. She was a nine-year-old girl who was riding her bike in her grandparents' neighborhood in the middle of the day when she was abducted and later senselessly murdered. Amber's killer not only destroyed her life, but he destroyed the lives of her family. He destroyed Donna's life, who was finally getting back on her feet only to have her firstborn child and only daughter taken from her. And he destroyed little Ricky's life, who adored his big sister and couldn't understand where she had gone. However, Amber got the last word. Her legacy lives on in the Amber Alert and in the over 1,000 children she has saved through that system. And because of this, the world will never forget Amber Hagerman, and we will never stop fighting for her. Anyone with information about the murder of Amber Hagerman can call the Arlington Police at 817-575-8823 or Crime Stoppers of Tarrant County at 817-469-TIPS. That's 8477. Make sure to follow us on all of our socials at the Murder Diaries Pod. Until next time, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.